Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by Penguin Random House Audio. Turn up the heat this summer and have sizzling fun with YA rom-com audiobooks. You can read hands-free at the beach, the pool, or your backyard. Audiobooks are stories you can take with you wherever you go. And some YA rom-coms you should definitely add to your playlist this summer include Radha and Jay's Recipe for Romance, written by Nisha Sharma, and read for you by Neil Shah and Mayuri Bandari, a delectable story that mixes food, dance, drama, and romance. Also pick up You Were Made for Me, written by Jenna Guillaume and read by Olivia McKenzie-Smith. A fun, feminist twist on the 1985 fan-favorite film Weird Science. Of course, you can't miss Instructions for Dancing, written by Nicola Yoon and read by the one and only Bonnie Turpin. The newest swoon-worthy listen from a New York Times best-selling author. Discover more YA listening recommendations from Penguin Random House Audio. You can listen to clips and find your next audiobook at penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash bookriot. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast. I'm Tirza Price, and today I'm joined with YA author Jacqueline Perkins. Yay! Yay! (laughs) So happy you're here. Jacqueline is the author of Hearts, Strings, and Other Breakable Things, which I adored and is out now, and the upcoming How Not to Fall in Love, um, which will be out in December and has a super gorgeous cover. So definitely check that out. Uh, In addition to writing novels, Jacqueline is also a set and costume designer who creates the most gorgeous book cover dresses. So welcome to Hey YA. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here and get to chat about all things YA and dresses and kissing and all the fun summary things we're all excited about. Oh, yes, I am so excited and I'm happy that you can take time in between your busy dressmaking to chat with me. <laughs> I've taken on a lot of them, but I love doing it. So it's it's time well spent. Yes. Well, and I'm really excited to talk about that. But first, we're going to talk about books because I invited you on here because I wanted to talk about YA romance. And I had recently read Hearts, Strings and Other Breakable Things. And I know that you have a great sounding book coming out this year. And I don't know about you, but it just really feels like this year is especially full of amazing rom-coms. It is, although there's something sort of strange happening in marketing that I feel like a lot of things are getting labeled rom-com that are maybe romantic or maybe comedic, but aren't really rom-coms. Yes. Um, So yeah, I feel like we are getting some really just fun, fantastic, happy, glorious, like celebrate love books that are tropey and full of that, like smack in the middle of that rom-com genre. We're also getting a bunch of like really lovely, thoughtful coming of age books that have beautiful romances in them. 
And I think something's kind of happening that everything's getting marketed as a rom-com. And I kind of want to like shout about some of those other books that I'm like, they're not really rom-coms, but they have beautiful romances and beautiful coming of age stories. And let's give all of those love too. Yes. And that is it's such an important thing to bring up because I think that there are, you know, certain things that readers expect when you say rom-coms but like I also really Mm -hmm. love a good romance and Mm -hmm. I yeah they all kind of get conflated and pushed together in the whole marketing beast which can be frustrating but also like I guess if this means we just have lots of romances that's a good thing (laughs) (laughs) that's totally a good thing yes oh my gosh well I am super excited to talk more about romance and rom-coms but first let's hear from our very first sponsor. This episode is sponsored by It Ends in Fire by Andrew Schwartz from Little Brown Books for Young Readers. As a child, Alka witnessed her parents' brutal murder at the hands of wizards before she was taken in by an underground rebel group. Now, Elka is in deep undercover at the most prestigious school of magic in the Republic, Blackwater Academy. To survive, Alka will have to lie, cheat, and kill to use every trick in her spy's toolkit. And for the first time in her life, the fiercely independent Alka will have to make friends to recruit the misfits and the outcasts into her motley rebellion. Can Alka destroy the twisted game without becoming part of it? This is a timely take on a fantasy rebellion, and it's action-packed from the very beginning. Of course, there's also a will-they-or-won't-they tension, and who can resist that? So that is It Ends in Fire by Andrew Schwartz. So kind of like going along that like idea of, you know, there's a difference between rom-coms and there's a difference between like books with really great romances in that. That kind of makes me think of Austen because I think a lot of Jane Austen's books kind of get like billed as or referred to as like these sweeping rom-com romances or whatnot. But I don't know. I, I Maybe I, you would disagree with me here, but I don't often see Jane Austen as being like necessarily a romance writer, although she has some really great romances in her books. And I guess to that end, I'm really curious why you chose to retell Mansfield Park, which is probably one of the least romantic of her books. <laughs> yeah, definitely the least loved of her books, which is part of what drew me to it. You know, there's something I'm always drawn to the outliers. I always want to know, like, everybody loves this, but not this. I always want to dig into that other thing. Mansfield Park for me was one of those books when I encountered it as a teenager was completely formative because we had read Pride and Prejudice in school. And of course, I fell in love with Austen's voice and the way she could satire society. But you still you still had this sort of thread of your heart going, but I want them to kiss at the end. So you can be like following all of this stuff about class and religion and politics and gender and this like really sharp dialogue um, and family structures and money. And at the same time, you're like, and I still want them to kiss at the end. (laughs) So we got that kind of sweeping romance, but we also got all of this other stuff packed into the book. So I fell in love with her writing. But ultimately, I'm I'm the outlier that like I couldn't relate to Lizzie Bennet because she was so strong. She was the girl who could walk into a room and say what she meant, and she could tell her mother she disagreed, and she she was just so confident. And when I found Mountsfield Park, I was like, there I am. And reading can be quite a quite a narcissistic experience. Like we look for ourselves in, in the books we read. And with Mansfield Park, we have this heroine who doesn't do that. Like she cannot walk into a room and just speak her mind and be saucy and strong and brave and tell the guy who said she was disagreeable, screw you. 
And I related to her so much more. She spends a lot of the book, uh, The Heroine of Mansfield Park, harboring a crush, basically, on a guy who's into someone else. And, you know, a lot of the critique about the original material about Austen's book is that when the hero, and I, I'm going to go ahead and give you the spoiler <laughs> here, when the hero comes around and loves the heroine, you know it's coming from page one anyway. It happens so fast. Yes. So we don't get what we get in Pride and Prejudice or in Emma or in Sense and Sensibility, where we watch these, these relationships build over the course of the book. What we watch basically is a book with a heroine who is interested in the guy, the guy likes someone else. And in the last few pages, he's like, oh, wait, you're the girl I should be with. So we don't, we don't get to watch that relationship build in the same way. But at the same time, I think that there is space, especially in contemporary young adult literature, for heroines who don't identify as strong. I think we kind of shifted out of heroines having to be stunningly beautiful and into them having to be like just impeccably strong as a way to kind of combat some things that were going on with gender and feminism. And, and I feel like we've got more space now for different kinds of stories. So with Mansfield Park, I thought, well, can I kind of take some of the things that I absolutely loved about the original book and the ways I identified with it as a teenager and bring it into a contemporary setting for maybe other readers who are looking for a heroine who doesn't walk into the room with all the perfect quips and all the all the kind of confidence and strength, but ultimately is struggling, is trying to just figure out how to speak her mind and who she wants to be and what her voice even is. So it's a lot of what drew me to that material is kind of like, can I can I kind of reignite a little bit of interest in this book that I loved and in the kinds of characters I loved who are much, much quieter characters? I love that. And I think that it really comes across in like Edie's journey where she is kind of a fish out of water and she's thrown into this situation where she has to be here for you know a certain number of months and she's mistreated and she's so uncomfortable and her journey to you know learning how to be comfortable but also speak up for herself was really wonderful great thanks yes yes and I also just love that there's like that instant sort of like romantic chemistry between her and her love interest in the very beginning (laughs) I was like yes give me all the chemistry (laughs) one of the other things that I love about Mansfield Park is it's it's a believable love triangle to me yes you know we've got the even in the original and I very much draw on this in my retelling you've got the very sort of sweet kind thoughtful boy but you also have the rake and I feel like in some of the other Austin novels and and similar genre pieces the rake you know from the get-go like there is no redemption nothing's going to happen there and one of the things that I just remember the first time I read Mansfield Park I hit that moment where I was like oh, the rake's not so bad. Oh, like maybe something's going to happen here. And I think love triangles really only work if you feel like there is potential with various avenues. If there's just a third person in there to be a jerk to make you want to, you know, make you sort of root for the main thread, it's pointless. Yeah. But with Mansfield Park, we get a really believable love triangle with their reasons for the heroine to pick either guy. Yes, I think that was probably one of the most surprising things for me when I first read Mansfield Park, where I was like, oh, you know, Henry 
isn't so bad. Like he kind yeah, of comes exactly. Across, he kind of comes across as like this really arrogant, you know, yeah. flippant, and he's flirting, and and then all of a sudden he like turns his gaze on Fanny, and she's just kind of like, um, "What's happening here?" Yeah, there's a change. Yeah. yeah, but as a reader, you're just kind of like, maybe. So yeah, <laughs> that is a really good point. I think that. Yeah, Fanny Price is, you know, one of the more timid Austin heroines, but she has such a rich inner life. And that's what makes Mm -hmm. her a really interesting character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that idea of sort of how do you stick to your principles in an unprincipled world? Um, How do you kind of hold true to what you really believe when everybody around you is telling you to believe something else or care about something else? Uh, I think that's a really relatable journey for anybody. Yes, especially when when she feels like everybody's betrayed her, which is so mm-hmm. sad. Yeah, um, I know. But I, yes, I do. I feel like Mansfield Park was definitely not my favorite Austin book, but it has become one that I appreciate on a much deeper level, especially in rereading it as an adult. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that there are also a lot of challenges to retelling that one because you know, Fanny does kind of feel like she she's the protagonist, but she's not really like the central character in all of this drama that's unfolding around her. So I was very impressed with how you reimagined her in Hearts of Strings and Other Breakable Things. Thanks. She does have that challenge. It's funny. I, I, I sometimes when I read books, like go back and revisit Austin or any number of other pieces that were written 50, 100, 200 years ago. Would they fly today past modern agents and editors. And I feel like somebody would tear Mansfield apart saying, you have a passive protagonist here. Like you have to activate her and you can't have the hero just choose to love her in the last five pages. Right. Like they would, they would just completely tear it apart. So it is a good challenge again, of how do you kind of take those things that you really love and admire about the work and make them work for a, a contemporary sensibility. And one of those challenges definitely is activating that heroine. Yes. Because certainly in Austin's original, like things happen to her, but she doesn't drive much of the story. Yeah, I feel like, you know, because I'm feeling this really hard right now because I'm actually writing a Mansfield Park retelling at, like at the moment. And it's so mm-hmm. challenging to, like, as you say, <laughs> activate her because really like in the original, I think one of the most powerful actions that she takes is refusing Henry Crawford's proposal. Yep. And that's that's about it. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's it's great if you're finally going to stand your ground that that is where she decided to draw that line. But yeah, I don't know if it, it would pass muster for today, um, which is yeah. just interesting to think about how things have changed. So you have talked about, like you mentioned tropes, tropey romances. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite romantic tropes and how have you tried to incorporate them into your books? Yeah, well, I am I am definitely that strange reader that loves a love triangle. They get such a bashing. People will, you know, I constantly, when I read reviews of books, people are like, oh, love triangle, please tell me there's no love triangle. When I don't like them is when they do seem unnecessary, when it seems like there is a third person or even a fourth person put in there that isn't really a viable option. Then it just seems kind of silly. You know, you've got that person who from chapter one, like they chew their food badly or they do something that you're like, oh, we know that's not going to happen. But when you feel like they are actually viable options for 
a main character, then what they really do is they externalize what that character most wants. So they're a way of challenging that idea of, I think, especially for coming of age, so especially in YA, when you're really kind of at the heart of figuring out where you want to go with your life, sometimes the things you're most attracted to at the very beginning aren't the things that you really want. So being tested in that of here are the things I think I want, but actually as I play that out a little bit, maybe these other things are more important to me. And getting to see those in relationships instead of objects, you know, someone's not choosing between whatever, a red toy and a blue toy. You're talking about people. It's complicated, which means when you make a choice, there are going to be repercussions. It's going to matter. It's going to have some weight. There's going to be a trickle effect that will potentially carry through the rest of your life. So there's stakes to those choices. So I do love love triangles. I think they're great ways to test what somebody wants. And one of the other tropes I love is I love the friends to lovers trope. Yes. Um, you know, ed- everybody loves the enemies to lovers trope. But sometimes I feel like I get a little bored with the bickering at the beginning. And I'm like, oh, that person's not even good for you. Um, but I know you're going to get together in the end. So I'll ride it out. <laughs> but when it's somebody that you have cared about for years, but you've kind of just boxed that off and you start to realize that there are other kinds of feelings there. There's a complication to that that I just find absolutely fascinating. Again, because there's stakes to it, that risk of what do you do about the friendship? Are you going to now affect the friendship? And because you've got all that history. So you've got those moments that were beautiful and wonderful as a friendship. So there's so much depth to those relationships. So I'm definitely on the on the friendship to lovers uh, <laughs> side of the vote as opposed to the enemies to lovers, even though that one's fun, too. Yes. Friendship to lovers, I think, is almost um, more challenging than enemies to lovers, because I think with enemies to lovers, it's just like, OK, you know, you throw them together and you can have kind of like that that chemistry. But I don't know, the friendship to lovers, it's. I think it takes a lot more nuance to draw it out and do it really well, but I also really enjoy it. Um, One of my favorite friendship to lover books is um, Love and Other Foreign Words by Erin McCann. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read that one, but that one has an excellent friends to lovers plot and it's just really good, but it's like a very slow burn. So you have to be patient with that Mm -hmm. book. Uh But yes, very fun. So what do you hope to see more of when it comes to YA romance? Because I know we talked about how there are some things that are not necessarily rom-coms, but are marketed that way. Um, I feel like clarity when it comes to marketing would be nice. That would be amazing. And I do think we'll come back to that. I think right now there's a kind of trend of sort of slotting things in genres. And that's like that always sort of opens back up like we do that and then we pull out of that. So I think uh, because people start to get fatigued with everything being classified in one way. And so then we shift out. So I think we will see more of that. I think we will see more books being marketed as coming of age stories, as contemporary romance instead of rom-com. We'll see more like everything's getting a cute cartoon cover right now. But part of that, I think, is we're in a pandemic. You can't do photo shoots. You know, you've got yes. everybody working from home. So I think we'll start to see that diversify, which will potentially help readers find the, the kinds of tone they're really looking for. So, yeah, I do think marketing will shift. In terms of other things I'm sort of excited to see in YA romance, I think like it's happening right now and it's been happening for a few years, but I think we'll see more and more of it, which is really just diversifying who those characters are. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in a time where every romance that was, you know, available to me as a young adult 
the heroine was always valued because she was beautiful. And I mean, that's why when I found Jane Eyre, I was like, thank you, Charlotte Bronte, for writing yes. a character who isn't valued because she's beautiful. But it was pivotal to me because it was the first book I read that that wasn't in there, whether I was stealing adult romances off my mom's shelf or whether I was, whether I was coming to teen literature. There was always that moment. That was the romantic moment was when the guy looked at the girl, especially in hetero romance, of course, and said, you're so beautiful. And then everything was wonderful. And I was like, what about all the other stuff about her? So I think we are starting to see more, more and more of that, um, just a diversity in who those characters are and what they are drawn to in each other. So it's not so much about that physical spark, even though I think that's a fun part of romance. It's, you know, the hero doesn't have to be six foot two and super buff, and the heroine doesn't have to be skinny and white and stunning and popular, you know, and all those things. And that that kind of cliche of you're beautiful, but you don't really know it. And like, I think we're seeing fat bodies, we're seeing more heroines of different ethnicities. We're getting disability rap, which is amazing. Some really exciting books are coming up with some disability rap. We're getting mental health rap. We're getting anxiety. We're getting things that I just don't think you saw as much of. I think we I think we're sort of coming out of a phase of, again, we were in the, you have to be beautiful for a long time. And then that shifted to now you have to be beautiful and really strong. You, know, you have to be the one who volunteers as tribute and you're beautiful and all the guys love you. And, and I think we're getting more nuance and more diversity in who the heroes and heroines are. Absolutely. And I've been so just very pleased and excited to see the increase in representation of like trans and non-binary characters Mm -hmm. having romances, because I feel like that can be pretty radical in the sense of like, you know, we've always defined or we've always tried to define romance as being like, well, you've got a hero and a heroine. And Mm -hmm. uh, getting those types of stories in front of readers kind of just shows that like romance doesn't always have to look like how you always thought it it looked like you know there's there's a lot more variation and there's a lot more diversity and that's really exciting Mm -hmm. absolutely some of my favorite and we'll we might get back to this but some of my favorite recent romances are lgbtq which kind of it helps shake up that dynamic of the alpha male and the you know more passive female and some of those kinds of things so yeah it's amazing to get these just beautiful relationships told from really different perspectives and the fact that we're getting more of that and that's becoming more mainstream and not like the one title you can find (laughs) but that you've got you've got options and again you can kind of find yourself in these books in different ways is really exciting it's so nice to see well since since you brought up some recent reads like let's talk about books we love because i'm always excited to get recommendations from other people so what are some of your favorite recent YA romances? Um, And some of these, it's funny because I feel like they could be classified as romance. They could be classified as coming of age stories with the romance being kind of the subplot. But stories that I've read recently that have, I think, great romances in them. I just finished The Lucky List, Rachel Lippincott's recent release. And it was just so lovely the way she builds the relationship between these two girls. Because it doesn't start with that, oh, you're hot, you're hot. Let's, you know, get through 250 pages before we finally make out. Instead, you just watch these two people gradually build this attraction and affection for each other and just really deep, sincere care. So by the end, when they do get together, you are so on board with who they are and who they're going to be as a, as a pair. So I love The Lucky List. Um, Sophie Gonzalez's latest, Perfect on Paper, was really lovely. I don't know if you've read that one, no. but it's, you know, you've got a kind of girl who's 
giving out love advice, but of course her own love life is a mess and she's kind of trying to sort through, this is who I think I want, but maybe it isn't who I want anymore. And so you watch her character really grow through kind of figuring out that maybe what she wanted before isn't what she wants anymore. So that's kind of a lovely way to build a romance. One that I thought got really under-marketed was Glimpsed, G.F. Miller's romance. And her heroine is a, is a teen fairy godmother, so there's a magical thread through it. So she kind of glimpses people's wishes and then sets out to make their desires come true. And it was just funny and sweet and is another one that has, has I guess I, I keep coming back to these <laughs> sort of slow burn romances where the characters maybe at the beginning don't even really like each other, or acknowledge each other as love interests, but they experience things together and they open up to each other slowly and they really develop something that I think has some depth. So those are those are kind of three of my favorite recent reads um, with romance threads for something that's just super fun and tropey, better than the movies came out this year. Yeah, um, Lynn Painter's book, and it's just it's just joyful. Like, you know, it's got it's got every trope in the book very deliberately because it's celebrating all of these romance tropes. So you've got the boy next door, and they're fighting over a parking space, and they're you know, and you just kind of watch them play out and very meta make fun of all the tropes while living through them as well. So if you want something that's just like super fun, funny summer read, that's a good one. Oh, those are all really good recommendations. And I have not had a chance to read any of them yet. Although I can actually see the lucky list on my shelf from where I'm sitting right now. (laughs) Story of my life. I think that um, if you really like a good like love triangle situation perfectly parveen by olivia abahi um just Uh came out it's so good (laughs) i really enjoyed that one and that one i think really spoke to like what you were talking about where you know love triangles can be great because they can you know be part of how the character is deciding like who they are and what what their identity is and what they need and what they want out of life and that one i think did it really really well um, and then I've also recently read um, Love is a Revolution by Renee Watson. Have you read that one? I haven't, but I'm writing it down right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that one was really great because it was, you know, it's it's got this fat protagonist who is, you know, fairly confident in herself and who she is, but... when when it comes to like looks and such but like she feels really in out of her depth because she starts to fall for a guy who's really involved in um, community activism and she's not and so she kind of gives him the impression that you know she she is you know she does this work at her grandmother's assisted living center and and she you know shows up to these meetings and she just does all these things and then of course as their relationship goes along it's like he starts to see through her lies and she kind of panics a bit and I really liked that book because it was a great romance novel that also just had like messy protagonists who were Mm -hmm. trying to figure out themselves and what it means to be in a relationship and and kind of like reconcile those two things and you know, she she learns that, you know, self-love and, and being who you are has got to kind of come first, which is, I think, really great. It's one of those books that I wish I'd had as a teen. Fantastic. Yes. And I just have to throw in one more Enemies to Lovers because I do love that trope. Um, she Drives <laughs> Me Crazy by Kelly Quinlan was really fun. If you like a sports sort of Enemies to Lovers and it's sapphic and it's funny, um, has a really great small town setting. So I highly recommend that. I would love to talk about 
your next book, How Not to Fall in Love. I think it sounds amazing. And when I was thinking about this topic and I was thinking about your books and you know having you come on the show, one thing that struck me is one of the reasons why I really love romances, especially those that like really lean into the rom-com sort of funny, tropey, romantic types of books is a lot of the times we're seeing them where they come up with like this really good like premise or setting or hook. And so yours is this girl who um, works with her mom's wedding boutique and she is kind of jaded when it comes to romance, but her friend is a boy who loves romance. So do you want to talk a bit more about your book, maybe how you came up with that sort of premise and maybe what makes a really good romance premise? Sure. Um, the last question, part of the question is probably the hardest, yes. but, um, because it's, you know, like who we can argue what makes a great premise, but the, uh, I can certainly talk about the book and how I got the ideas for it. One of the fun things I think as a writer that you get to do is you kind of get to put parts of yourself in different characters. So with How Not to Fall in Love, very narcissistically, it was a, a kind of way for me to take the very cynical side of my brain and put it in one character and take the just hopelessly romantic side of my brain and put it in another character and let them battle it out. So in some ways, what plays out on the page is those two sides of my brain that have been in conflict for you know, my entire <laughs> life. I love it. Um, yeah. So some of that was that. But ultimately, a lot of what I write is inspired by other things I've read and kind of pays tribute to some of the things that I'm drawn to in other books. So really, How Not to Fall in Love is my tribute to Cervantes' Don Quixote. So it doesn't have the, you know, the politics and the, you know, everything that was going on at Cervantes' time. But ultimately, we see a character that just keeps believing in things, which I think is hard to do right now. We're in a very cynical age right now. Like it is hard to post something. You, you can post something happy on Twitter, like, look, it's my cat playing with a toy. And you'll inevitably get some somebody on there being like, you should be thinking about the environment. You know, like <laughs> We're in a kind of angry, cynical time. And it's stirring up a lot of things that we need to deal with. But to be able to put a character in the middle of a contemporary society who, you know, deals with contemporary dating, where you get people ghosting you, and you've got to go through that kind of horrible routine of sitting down at the first date and getting your hopes up and then getting crushed, and just everything that kind of hits you in life, but just still believes that things, things can be good and beautiful and wonderful. So getting to put that character on the page, who is very much drawn from the Don Quixote character... And in Cervantes' book, there's the heroine who, for very different reasons than my heroine, is extremely jaded about romance and relationships and life in general. So kind of figuring out how I could put that character in a contemporary setting to have that person who's just completely anti-romance, like life is not going to be good. It's like my character listens to all those podcasts that are about the world is falling apart because <laughs> plastic. And, you know, so she gravitates to, to this kind of like almost nihilistic sensibility in life, whereas he just, just shoves it all out of his way. He's a LARPer. So he goes to play like the, the night on the weekends at his LARPing community. So it's kind of just a fun way to explore these two characters in society. And then the the cynical character working in the wedding shop, a lot of that comes from real life experience. So I've done a number of wedding dresses and some of them were absolute joys for me. 
getting to be part of somebody's wedding and the just the lushness of all of it and to create a dress. But I've also seen the side of weddings that really, you know, by the time the wedding happens and I'm sitting in the back just to make sure the dress looks okay, I'm just watching these two people walk down the aisle thinking, all you guys have talked about for four months is stuff that has nothing to do with your relationship, nothing to do with wanting to be with each other. The kind of obsessiveness about guest lists and, you know, the flowers are wrong and the emotions are so high and so many people get involved. So I think it's a setting that ironically, a lot of people think of the wedding industry as just this like most romantic, idyllic setting. But if you've worked in it, you can see another side of it. So it's kind of a a good setting for a character who just, you know, takes all that in and becomes very anti-romance. So lots of things kind of led to my uh, developing that particular story. But, you know, I have to make sure to at least give the nod to Cervantes in there because... He created that character dynamic in a way that I really wanted to pull into what I wrote. That's awesome. And I love that in in different ways, both of your books are kind of take um, a nod or an inspiration from classics, because that's really fun. And I think that, you know, you touched on what I think I like seeing in an ideal romance setup, which is like there's tension, you know, there's really mm-hmm. good, like situational tension and not just tension between the characters. So I am very excited about how not to fall in love. I think it sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that to, to get a romance that doesn't start with the characters just, you know, ready to go from the beginning, you need them to have different points of view on something. You know, in fantasy, that's often you've got people from two warring sides of, uh, you know, different kingdoms. You've got somebody rich, somebody poor. You've got so in fantasy, we often see it play out in bolder ways than we see in contemporary realism or even semi-realistic fiction. But I do think that, yeah, getting that tension of sort of two sides and then how do they meet in the middle? How do they influence each other in positive ways so that maybe whatever those points of view are, you know, even the book you were talking about, you've got a social activist, and you've got somebody who's not a social activist, but how do they kind of come together? Yes. Yeah, it can be really compelling, I think. And that's just, it's really, really interesting. So that is very exciting. How Not to Fall in Love comes out in December? Yep, just before Christmas. Yep. Great. So put it on your holiday wish list. All right. We are going to pause for our next sponsor. But then when we come back, we're going to talk about dresses. This episode is sponsored by Harper Audio. Roundbreaker, the instant number one New York Times bestseller by Victoria Aveyard, is available now. Irresistibly action-packed and full of lethal surprises, this stunning new fantasy series from the author of Red Queen begins where hope is lost and asks, when the heroes have fallen, who will take up the sword? Download Roundbreaker today on Audible, Apple, or wherever you get your audiobooks. All right. So if readers follow you on Instagram, they will see that you are the creator of some of the most gorgeous book cover inspired dresses ever. I gasped the first time I think I stumbled upon your account and I saw (laughs) all of them because they're so creative and they're so beautiful. So I would love to hear more about how you started creating these. So I started doing some dresses to help promote heartstrings and other breakable things. And I'll be honest, some of that came from like, I am so bad at social media. I don't understand all of it. I don't do video. The idea of spending a ton of time editing and filtering photos, like I just don't have a knack for it. 
I also feel like if I put something up on social media, I want to make sure I've got time to interact with people about it. And anyway, I was kind of flailing with what do I even do with social media accounts, which for all those people who are told you have to have a zillion followers to sell a book, I did not have social media accounts when I sold Heartstrings and other breakable things. So if that gives anybody a little bit of a kind of breath of relief, you don't have to be (laughs) have a major following to sell a book. So I was kind of struggling, but then I thought, why am I struggling on a visual platform when I'm a visual artist? So maybe I can kind of use my skill set to put something out there that people are interested in seeing. So when I was building up to Heartstrings release, I made a few dresses to support my own book, um, use them as giveaways, and just to have some kind of photographs and something interesting. And then COVID hit. And like many people, I was just floundering emotionally. All of my film and theater work was stripped away because the industry shut down. Theater is still largely shut down, although it's building up slowly. I was struggling for focus to keep writing. My contract was stalled like many people's because everything got delayed. Printing got delayed. Contracts got delayed. Like everything just kind of slowed down. And I think if you have that kind of heart as a creator to not be creating is it's massive. Like it just affects everything. So I was looking for a way to create and a way to connect with other people. I was very isolated. I was really struggling. So I thought, well, what if I reach out to some of the authors I know and I do dresses for them and then I'm creating and I'm connecting with somebody else. It's a way for me to celebrate somebody else's work, which I love to do. I would much rather talk about anybody's work but my own, honestly. (laughs) I feel that. (laughs) I think if you look at my Instagram page a lot, like I recommend, I comment on any of my own work like once every three months and the rest is like, look at this book and look at this person. And look what they're doing. Um, I'm much more comfortable with that. It makes me quite happy. So I started doing it really, uh, honestly, as a way of coping with living in a pandemic and building community and getting to use some skills that were lying really dormant. And then once I started, I was like, this is awesome. I love doing this. This Like, I just, this is all I want to do. I don't even want to write books anymore. I just want to make dresses for other people's books. So it kind of expanded. And then my community expanded as people found me and we started talking about the project. And then I'd be like, oh, and I read your book. Do you want a dress? And it all kind of built from there. So yeah, it started from a, a few different things, but mostly as a coping mechanism and then became my way to connect with both readers and authors. Oh, that is so cool. I love the just the creativity and ingenuity that goes into these creations because you take like the little details on the cover and I think it's the way you, that you interpret them into a dress can be really, really exciting. How many have you done so far? Uh, I've done, I'd have to look. I've got on my, on my Goodreads, I put them all in a file. So I think I've done, I'm going to open up my page. So I've done 56. Wow. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah. If you add my own books, it's more than that. (laughs) But yeah, 56 for other books. Ah, that is so generous and exciting to see. Um, So like, what's your process? Like when you see a book cover, do do you kind of like visualize what you want the dress to look like? Do you play around with different elements? Some of them come very quickly and some of them take quite a bit of trial and error. Um, I always read the book first, so I'm not just responding to the cover, even though 
the dresses have a lot of similarities to the cover, but I like to get the feel of the book. So like the light breezy rom-com will have a fun summer dress that you could wear to a party with a cocktail in your hand. Whereas the heavier fantasies will be something that tends to be kind of larger and more in line with whatever that world was. So they could be grander in scale, have much more ornate fabrics. So they kind of feel like the lyrical language of the content of the book and not just the cover. So I definitely get a feel for what the story is. I also pay attention to things like, is it a book that deals with breaking up gender? So can I bring that into what a dress looks like or deals with different kinds of bodies or, you know, anything else that I can kind of pull out of the story itself? But some of them, like, they'll just, there'll be a cover where I'm like, oh my God, the way that little yellow is against the blue just would work perfect in a bright silk. Or I'll pick up on visuals like the way light plays against a cover or layers like branches against a deep background. How can I create that? So I have my storytelling mind trying to pick up on themes and ideas and story. But I also have my just strictly visual mind looking at textures, colors balances. And then I have I have fun with them. So, you know, there have been times so the the next one I'm going to post, it's for an adult romance. And the title on the cover has a really distinct shape against the background. And I must have tried at least a dozen different things. Like I pin, I had the base dress done and I pinned the, I pinned all sorts of things onto it on a dress form. Like, can this work as the cover? What about flowers? What about ribbons? What about appliques? What if I paint something on? And everything just got really literal and I pulled it all off and just did something really simple. So some of them take tr- quite a bit of trial and error. I have a fantasy one ready to go that I might post week after next that ended up painting the fabric. Oh, wow. So I couldn't find, yeah, I couldn't find a fabric I liked online, but the book has this kind of crumbling, decadent feel to it. So I thought, well, I could paint this and paint it in a way that the fabric kind of feels like it's crumbling because it doesn't have that perfect machine print to it. So with that one, I ended up like really playing with texture on it. So some of them, yeah, there have been some that I'm like, I've found that I find the perfect fabric and it comes together and I build it and I'm good to go. And then others, I literally, I take weeks of, I pin it on a dress form and I let it sit there and I come back to it. And I'm like, no, that doesn't work. And then I find something else and I play with that. And no, now I actually need a coat. It can't just be a dress or I take the sleeves off. So there's a pretty wide range of them kind of swiftly flowing out of the machine versus the ones that, yeah, I get in my head about about 20 different ways to do it. Oh, that is so cool. Well, I one of my favorites, I think, is um, Sunny Song Will Never Be Famous because I love the yeah. chicken applique. <laughs> that one was just fun. <laughs> that was one that did come together really quickly. I mean, it took me a while to find some chickens that I could uh, applique. It's, uh, it's Suzanne Song's um, latest YA. And it's like, it's a fun book. Her wit is so fantastic and her writing. So I knew that the dress had to have a sense of humor to it. And uh, I was able to get a kind of, there's a, there's a fence on the cover and I was able to get that printed. So I got the fence print done. So it like really matches the cover. And then it has these little chickens and little grass bits. So it took a while to do all the applique, but idea wise, like that one just flowed. Because oh. <laughs> I had the right, I had the right materials for it. That is so cool. And I just realized that that is actually the fence in the background. Like I was like, wow, you match the background, you know, the the whole (laughs) pink fabric really well, but that's really cool. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, it, they do get like this is not this is not a cheap hobby. I am very fortunate to have a full time job and no dependents other than my adorable puppy, so I can afford to fund this project. Not inevitably, but um, for a while anyway. So yeah, getting custom printed fabric and ordering everything shipped in like it does it does add up. But that one I felt like I had to get that print. Yes. Well, and I think what's so impressive about it is like you do have just like this range of like really ornate, beautiful fantasy dresses. And then you have something that's you know, maybe a little bit more simpler in construction, but nonetheless, very creative and cool. Like those light summer dresses. Like it's just, it's really fun. Every time I see a new dress pop up, I'm like, Ooh, what, what do we have this time? So, and I'm really excited. I see you have one dress for how not to fall in love, but it sounds like you have multiple Mm -hmm. ones for that, that book coming up. Yeah, so my plan is to do six. So I have five done and I do have the fabric for the sixth one. Um, And I have just wonderful artist friends who are doing photographs for me because we all have different social circles right now of who we can be around and how we can do all of that. So they've got a they've got a group that they're doing the photos for me. And I'm just going to post one a month as we lead up to the release in December. And then I will give them all away in December with copies of the book once I have them. Oh, That sounds really fun. Uh, Well, I know that they're going to look gorgeous because based off of everything that you've ever posted so far, it's such great work. So thank you for putting out that eye candy for all of us. I love seeing them. Yay. That's they're really like pandemic is hard on everyone, right? It's like, why not just have something fun and joyous and pretty and non-stressful? It's just be like, look, it's a pretty thing. And maybe you can have it in your closet <laughs> and read a book, read a book you love. Yes. Well, and it's such a great, I think, tribute too to some of the amazing cover artists that are working now because mm-hmm. we have just some amazing covers. So yes, it's very fun. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. This has been so great talking about kissing books. <laughs> Jacqueline's book, Heartstrings and Other Breakable Things, is out now. So you can pick up a copy, pre order How Not to Fall in Love. It will be out in December. In the meantime, where can we find you online, especially those gorgeous dress creations? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm on Instagram and Twitter at JF Kills Darlings. So my initials plus killing my darlings, which <laughs> I do. I do like I write some pretty messy first drafts. So my editing process is extensive. And online is just my name. So JacquelineFerkins.com. You can see things on my website, which is sorely outdated, but I swear I will get to it this <laughs> summer and get some of these dresses up on there including one for Pride Premeditation, which will be coming up later this month. Yay, I'm so excited. I felt so honored when you reached out and wanted to create a dress for my cover. And I just can't wait to see the final product. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much again. Thank you to our sound editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound amazing. You can find all of the books that we mentioned in the show notes, and you can find more great podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And if you pick up a book that we recommend here on the show, we would love to hear about that. Please feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Finally, you can catch up with me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Tears of Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. And then I will see you all next week on a Hey YA Extra Credit episode. But get ready to welcome Kelly back in our next full episode. In the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.